I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and usually my co-host Kyle uh, will take turns introducing each other to films, and uh, in this way we catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of July, and uh, every month on the show, uh, since a few months ago, we've been doing a special event here that we call uh, Tales from the Shelf. <laughs> um, and uh, to join me in this endeavor, as has been the case in past episodes, I have Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. Uh, how you doing, Brad? I'm doing excellent. Thanks again for having me. Always good to talk about Blu-rays. You know, it, we just got off the holiday weekend, and... Uh, Got to tell you, I, d- I did go camping, and the whole time I was like, man, I just wish I was at home with my collection. I'm ready to record this thing. I'm excited. I was <laughs> <laughs> picturing you on your back in your tent staring up at the stars and be like, man, this is boring. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I can't even chapter skip this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, it was only one night, so I left on Friday, got to watch a movie Friday morning, came back Saturday, so I got to watch a movie Saturday night, so I didn't even go 24 hours without having access, so that was good at least. It's like, how can I enjoy these fireworks without a director's commentary? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, did you, did you blow any shit up? Uh, I did not actually know. Uh, yeah, I I didn't even really watch any fireworks because by the time I got back from camping, uh, we were just so wiped out that we just uh, went and watched Shark Tank at home. Uh, fireworks were going off all around us. We didn't even bother stepping outside to watch. We were so tired. Well, you know, that's fine. I want to say that's probably the more authentic American experience of the 4th of <laughs> July. Anyway, <laughs> Shark Tank is a good show to watch on the 4th of July. I will say that. I mean, I was probably sacrilegious or something who's watching that that british man on the kitchen nightmares or something <laughs> like reruns <laughs> from a show from 15 years ago as hosted by a british man <laughs> hey, uh, americans still love that show so you're good you're good yeah that's right um so fourth <laughs> of july business aside uh we we tend to do like a overarching theme for uh, every tales from the shelf episode that we do and uh this time around, we're going to be doing something that uh, we're going to keep up the alliteration. Uh, the name of the episode is Top Shelf Treasures. Um, so the idea here is that Brad and I uh, are just going to be spotlighting some of the items we have in our respective collections that we're especially proud to be owners of, I guess. So this doesn't speak to the quality of the actual film or maybe even the the product itself like meaning like the print quality or like the image quality or even the packaging or whatever mm-hmm. but just you know our personal relationship with the item itself um <clears throat> so c- who wants to go first here brad because this was i think my idea i think i was pushing for it but you're the guest and i feel like maybe i should push the responsibility on you and put you on the put you in the hot seat <laughs> hey i can kick it off i don't mind i've got i've got some stuff here to talk about you want me to get it going here I mean, folks at home, you can't see it, but Brad just like smacked his palms together, and he's just—he's uh, <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm licking my chops. I'm ready. I've, I've got some stuff here to talk about. Um, well, have at it. Yeah. So I'll start. Uh, I've actually got a few things on this episode where I own multiple copies of stuff, which I think would kind of go to show how one, how much maybe I love the movie, and two, that there might be a specific version of it that I, uh, you know, treasure above the other one, which would be why I bought more than one. Um, and to kick it off, I have one that is unopened, keep it, keeping it sealed uh, in case I ever want to flip this thing. 
It is a beautiful looking steel book. And I know before we started recording, we were talking about how much we hate steel books. So I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm breaking my rules well, right here. Well, like a l- little bit of a little bit of a hand up moment here. We, we don't hate steel books so much as we, we hate the inconsistency of having a steel book among a sea of non steel yeah. books. Mm-hmm. And so it's if, like it's an all or nothing kind of thing. If everything was a steel book, it would actually look pretty beautiful on the shelf. I will say there is that would be pretty nice. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. But this one, it's a uh, steelbook of one of my favorite movies. It is Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive. And, I i mean, I love the movie, so I'm proud to own two copies of it. And I just love this artwork on the steelbook. I'm sure the back of the steelbook looks awesome as well if I ever open it and take off the cardboard covering. I'm sure it would look awesome on the back also. But uh, that's a surprise for another day. That might be something... Um, on my deathbed, maybe I'll open this and finally see what's on the back uh, back cover of it. But yeah, I mean, I, I I've seen this movie a ton of times, and uh, when I saw this Blu-ray on the shelf, this Steelbook, I said, I gotta add this to my collection. I'm I'm a huge fan of the film, and uh, it looks awesome. So it just it looks great sitting next to the kind of generic looking um, original Blu-ray release. Um, but I'm glad to have it, and it's definitely uh, it's definitely a Blu-ray I treasure. Even though I did just recently uh, rewatch Michael Mann's Thief, and you can see how uh, potentially um, how much Drive just ripped off of that movie. But I still love both films, so you know it's n- nothing against Drive. Thief is actually very very high on my list of movies I really need to get to. I actually mm-hmm. crossed one of those off very recently. Uh, a little bit of a pat on the back for myself. Uh, I watched uh, William Friedkin's Sorcerer. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Um, I'd heard about it. Like, I knew it by reputation for, like, half of my life, at least. And it, it was always the easiest movie to push to the back burner because, like, it's a, tr- it's a movie about people driving a truck. Like, <laughs> like, how thrilling could it be? And then you watch it, and it's like, this is a pretty fucking good movie. Yeah. <laughs> but I finally pulled the trigger on that, so that felt good. But uh, Thief is definitely very high on my list. That and uh, I think you, on your show, mentioned you watched The Keep recently. Um, uh, no, it, I might mention the the keep, but uh, I I haven't seen that one, the Michael Mann ooh. horror movie. But I do want to. I guess we both have to catch up on that one. Yeah, because uh, I, yeah, I'd very much like to see early Michael Mann. I feel like he has a very different flavor in his early filmography than he does later on. Yeah, and the keep is kind of uh, a little controversial because it really has its release history is really rocky. Like I think Michael Mann is kind of not too proud of the film, so he's kind of kept it under a lock and key like i think you can watch there is a version where you can purchase it digitally or something but i don't think it has the original score and i believe it's only standard definition so it's you know you're sacrificing a few things there um and i don't know if we'll ever get like a you know definitive release of it but that would be that would be a top shelf treasure if it ever comes out okay well i'll have to keep my ear to the ground on that one um drive is a funny movie to me because like not 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 a comedy like it's not a it's not a funny haha movie (laughs) but um i remember being like the strongest advocate for it before it came out and then Mm -hmm. i dropped it like a bad habit oh really yeah i was the guy in my circle of friends who was like oh you you guys gotta like check you gotta check this out like i've been hearing really good word of mouth about it and like the festival circuits and stuff and the trailer looks amazing and then i sat down to watch it and i didn't react to it very well Mm -hmm. um which bothered me like it made me feel like a bad person or something <laughs> like hang on what just happened here something doesn't compute but i i respect it as a work of quality it just doesn't resonate with me for some reason there's just something mm-hmm. missing um but uh 
film aside, uh, that packaging is quite handsome. Where where did you pick that that uh, steelbook up? That was a uh, Best Buy exclusive. Um, and I will say, I can't remember if I looked up this one, but I do have a few uh, things in my top shelf treasures, which this isn't the reason why they're my top shelf treasure, but it's you know it's a good indicator. I look up on uh, eBay what they're going for, some of these that are no longer in print, and there's a few that I'm uh, proud to say are going for a pretty, pretty penny, which, uh, you know, not that I'm not that I'm planning on flipping them, but, you know, it's just nice knowing, like, you know, see that Blu-ray over there? Yeah, that's going for 75 bucks on eBay. Sold. Those are the sold listings. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, <laughs> that's like me with my uh, Super Nintendo collection. Um, I've got mm-hmm. some games on my shelf that's like, Wow, I'm glad I sat on that since I was like 13 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Because um, yeah, some of those have appreciated crazily. But um, yeah, that, that's a that's a handsome that's a handsome case, man. Like, I, I can see why you kept it in the packaging. Um, yeah, might have been the only like well, not the only, but the first movie I ever bought twice on Blu-ray. Maybe I don't want to confirm that, but I feel like it might have been. I don't know if I have any repeat Blu-ray purchases, but I I have a handful of DVDs that I upgraded to either Blu-ray or 4K. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I don't know. Like I I feel like maybe I need to take another look at Drive because maybe I saw it in the wrong headspace or something. Maybe I maybe I crafted a different narrative than the one that was presented to me. Have you seen any other uh, Nicholas Winding Refn films? Uh, Bronson. Okay. Um, and half of the Neon Demon. Of, mm-hmm. I don't remember why I didn't finish it. I was actually enjoying it. I just stopped watching it. I think I had to leave town or, or something along those lines. But um, I'm not super familiar with his filmography. Um, I knew yeah. some people that were super up on him uh, th- to the point that they like made paintings from images of uh, his pusher films. Oh, okay. And they yeah. were pretty good artists, too. So they, they gave a shit. They put time into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely not like overly familiar with him either. I think I've seen every single one of his films after Drive, but I may not have seen any. I don't think because I haven't seen Bronson and I haven't seen the Pusher films. So um, I'm definitely uh, more of a recent Winding Refn head, I guess. But uh, I I, I do like the guy and I keep meaning to go back and certainly check out the Pusher films. But uh, just because, you know, there's I think there's three of them and it's like, well, now I got to If I watch one, I'm going to have to watch them all. So it's kind of a little bit of a commitment to it, but. Well, last thing I'll say about Mr. Uh, Winding Refn is um, look up interviews of him because some of them are kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. I've heard a few. And there's some good ones. <laughs> yeah, he, he's pretty funny in interviews um, and not in like the humble, fun way. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but let me see what, what I can bring to the table here. So um, let's see here. Uh, well, this is a random one to start with, um, and it's a it's a twofer. Uh, so, mm-hmm. these are two oversized DVD cases. So something that would probably set you off, Brad. These are a couple, <laughs> like a couple of centimeters taller than a standard DVD case for whatever the fuck reason. Okay, no all right. idea. Um, but these are uh, Jackie Chan's uh, Wheels on Meals and Dragons Forever. Um, and these are both like. Uh, Chinese opera Three Musketeer films. Um, mm. So that would mean Jackie Chan, Yudin Biao, and Samuel Hung uh, featured in all of these, uh, as well as uh, Benny Urquidez movies. Um, you would know Benny Urquidez from the finale of Gross Point Blank. 
Um, okay. Uh, he's the he's the guy he gets gets into the kickboxing match with in the in the hallway at the school at the school yeah. dance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I told you this like via like text or something that um, Wheels on Meals, uh, the fight between Jackie Chan and Benny Arquitas is like the stuff of legends. It was mm-hmm. like it was probably like 1982, so it was like baby Jackie Chan. Um, and it's just a straight up one on one fight. It has Jackie Chan's trademark humor in it. Um, neither of these films I would call anywhere near the top of any of these guys' filmographies. Um, it is the novelty factor of seeing all three of them together on screen is is something like that counts for quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're not bad; it's just they've all done better. Yeah. Um, but that that um, those final fights between Jackie Chan and Benny Arquitas in both of these movies um, were the reason why I went way out of my way to like. Uh, look up an import vendor to buy these uh all region discs in these gross ass cases (laughs) but i've i've owned these since i was like a teenager um i think both of these movies have been released on blu-ray in the uk only um Mm -hmm. they may have been put out like in like better quality dvd uh as part of like the dragon dynasty label but as far as i know the only hd versions of them exist in the uk um, okay. Because there, there's that one publisher that's putting out their uh, 88 something or other. Yeah, 88 films, right? Is that there? You go. Yeah, yeah I think that's it. Um, they've been putting out a lot of Jackie Chan stuff lately, and I'm pretty sure they covered these. But um, part of the reason, uh, not, all, not only just the like, I don't know, the nostalgia factor of having these very old discs on my shelf and like following me through my whole life. Like that's a huge part of why these are top shelf treasures for me. But another thing is something that. Uh, I I can't quite explain. Um, so this particular disc of Wheels on Meals um, has a totally different soundtrack um, from other versions of the movie that I've seen most places. Really? Okay. Um, so when I, when I look up clips from this movie, almost all of them have a totally different soundtrack because the international version of the movie was called uh, Spartan X. <laughs> for whatever the fuck reason um makes about as much sense as wheels on meals but the international <laughs> version was called spartan x and it has a totally different soundtrack and that seems to be the prevailing version like that's been distributed across the globe hmm. um, such that like if i look up the final battle in this movie on youtube more than likely it's going to have music that's just like what that's that's not my music like yeah um, they're both very good soundtracks it's just a really funny thing that like i've been looking pretty much my whole life for this score like in digital form or like bootleg or whatever and i can't fucking find it wow really so so this disc that i've i have this this it's not a bootleg but it is an import disc that's okay quality um serves as the only way that i can watch the movie the way i know it Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really weird thing because I'll like I'll like send a clip of it or something to a friend of mine and the, I'll be really frustrated because it's like I'm trying to show you the thing but it's not the thing that I have in my head <laughs> and I don't have a way to share it with you. And it's not just an issue like because I know with the, some of Jackie Chan's movies it was you know for North America the release would be different like this is like all over your release is like completely unique for some reason right? It seems like it. Because hmm. I, I've I've looked up digital versions like on YouTube or on like Daily Motion or whatever um, of the movie, uh, either bearing the Wheels on Meals title or the Spartan X title, um, and the language track will be the same. So it'll be the same Cantonese track that you know 
we're all accustomed to but the music will be different wow. <laughs> um, and and the spartan x soundtrack is all over the place you can find you can trip over it on the internet yeah um but the original soundtrack that i know and love for some reason i i don't know if it was lost to time or or, or what but uh, i don't know the story i haven't done a whole lot of research on it but it's always been a little bit of an oddity um so i'm i'm glad that i still have this disc that i didn't trade up for something else you better watch out. You might want to edit this out because it might be uh, Jackie himself might have shut this uh, soundtrack down. <laughs> he might be coming for you. He might he might be coming to take that. Uh, you might have the final copy of this thing, and he's been trying to scrub it from the world. I mean, you might be right because he did two different theme songs for the movie. And maybe he was really embarrassed by the Wheels on Meals oh, song. Oh, now he's we're like, talking. Fuck that shit. <laughs> like, it's like it's like nobody was supposed to hear that. <laughs> now we're talking. Yeah, he this this is starting to actually make some some sort of sense. I will say that. Yeah, it's a it's a conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jackie. He might just be like every couple days. He might just search the internet see if any. Any hits on uh, Wheels on Meals popping up of the you know the original soundtrack and no, he might be he might be coming for you. He's gonna look me up on Twitter or something and he's gonna preface things with I don't want any trouble, but <laughs> <laughs> then he'll just send me a picture of him holding a ladder and looking ferocious, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just like pointing at me and I'll be like, right. okay, okay, <laughs> like you yeah. can have it. Like send me a shipping label and I'll you know. I'll, I'll pay the $80 postage or whatever to get to Hong Kong. <laughs> I mean, hey, if, if you get to interact with Jackie Chan, I would say it's worth it, right? I mean, sure. I'd, I'd let him kick me in the face. Yeah, <laughs> I would too. I would be really embarrassed if like he threw out his hip doing it or something. But I'd make him look good, like just yeah. like he did for so many other people in his movies. I'd, I'd like flip and flop on the floor and be like, oh, my God, such a devastating kick. It's like, that didn't hurt. <laughs> He's so old. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, yeah the, like I said, these um, I would absolutely recommend you watch the the finale of both of these movies. Um, mm-hmm. Tremendous, tremendous, as a uh, Mr. Joey Diaz would say. But um, uh, on the whole, um, they're they're okay. They're not fantastic, but uh, the the final fisticuffs between Jackie Chan and Ben Urquidez. I don't care who you are, you'll derive some form of entertainment from it because it's mm-hmm. spectacular. Um, but yeah, Brad, uh, what what else you got, man? Well, let me see here. I can mention real quick. Okay, yeah, this is out of print, so uh, this is uh, definitely a, a treasure, even more than uh, it would be if it wasn't out of print. And it's another double. It's another double movie. It's one of I own two copies of, kind of. Um, this one, the one that I will highlight is the 10-disc set, uh, which I don't think I've mentioned at all on this uh, show, uh, Halloween The Complete Collection, the 10-disc set of all the Halloween movies. Um, I also own uh, the um, original Halloween on Blu-ray in a nice uh, little digi-book packaging that's, that's pretty nice, and... I think I, I also own it on 4K, so I own this movie three times, um, which I guess I'm just now realizing. But um, I I really like the Halloween franchise. Of course, I love the original. It's certainly one of my all-time favorite horror movies. But there's something about the rest of the franchise that, you know, I, I would maybe say that only, like, two or three of them are any good. But there's something about it where... 
I just like the the lengths that they go to keep the story going is always interesting to me because it's like you would think they would just be like, all right, we're just going to have Michael Myers show up, no explanation, and just terrorize some babysitters or whatever. But no, they always have to tie it back to the original somehow, whether it's through Lori or her niece or Tommy Doyle or just, you know, there's always some way that they have to tie it back, which it just gets you know, the complications that they take get really interesting. Um, but no, I, I love this set. I think uh, I'd never seen all the films until I bought it on Blu-ray. The only thing with this is that this one, if you can see, it's kind of, you know, in two jumbo cases. And there was a release of this that came with 10 cases where each movie had their own case. And the I think the only difference, unfortunately, and it's a difference that I wish, I kind of wish I would have had the 10 case set, is that uh, Halloween 6, uh, The Curse of Michael Myers, this one I do not have the producer's cut. It is not included with this, which is a bummer. Um, I don't think I even realized that when I bought it. I just I saw this, and I was like, oh, that's going to be way easier to put on the shelf. I'm like, yeah, it's Scream Factory. We're, we're all good, and I bought it, not even questioning it. And then I went to watch Halloween 6 and realized there's no producer's cut on here. So... A little bit of a bummer there, but uh, no, I love this set, and uh, it's certainly one of my favorite horror franchises. Yeah, um, actually, the producer's cut was going to be my first question about that box yeah. set, because um, anybody who has any sort of, I don't know, attachment to that franchise is at least aware of that. Um, I think, I don't think I've actually seen it. Uh, I've certainly read all sorts of reviews of it, complete with, like, detailed screenshots and whatnot, so I, I know what it is, um, but I never like bit the bullet and actually paid the money for it um Mm -hmm. i I don't know what it is about some of those horror franchises but there's something charming about it where like other franchises when they get long in the tooth or they start reaching too far it 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 comes across as like oh come on guys like like you're 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 stretching like you're you're better than that but for some reason some of these like more humble like horror franchises it comes across as charming Mm -hmm. because like i i want to say um the child's play series um a lot of people really got invested in that series because the same creative voice was behind every single one of those movies up until the most recent one which counts for something that, oh you know, for sure you, there's a single guiding hand you know behind things and then um i don't even particularly like them but the saw movies were very fun in that regard in the way they they jump they jump through all sorts of fucking hoops to make this shit make sense and it still doesn't make sense but it's kind of neat seeing them try (laughs) i I mean the fact that the main villain in the saw franchise i mean spoiler alert dies in the third one and they still keep him popping up like eight films late well i mean not eight but you know in like the eighth and ninth films is pretty pretty impressive (laughs) no i I think that's remarkable that's like hang on you're you're literally propping up a corpse for how Mm. many for more than for more movies than he's alive in (laughs) (laughs) what is this but it's like they didn't they didn't have to do that nobody was like twisting their arm and saying oh it's really important to keep continuity between the saw movies it's like no but they committed to it and it's kind of fun watching it and I kind of get that vibe from the Halloween series too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, are you are you a uh, pro Halloween three or or con? <laughs> I I don't dislike it, but I know there's a lot of people who really defend it, and they're like, it's it's a great movie. I don't think it's great. I mean, it's it's decent. I I definitely would put it in the upper half of these films, but uh, I mean, it's just like for me, it's an above average 
80s horror movie. Um, but I, I enjoy it. It's, you know, it's a nice change of pace. I'll say that when you're watching all these movies back to back. Yeah, it, it's a nice little intermission between all the stabby stabby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I I like it. I think I'm along. I think I'm with you where it's like it's I wouldn't hold it above the the first film in the franchise or anything like that. But it, it is a breath of fresh air. Tom Atkins is great. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I forget. Have, have you seen Night of the Creeps? Uh, no, I haven't actually. All right. Uh, come Halloween time, maybe keep that in the back of your mind because that, that's a fun one. Yeah, <laughs> that's on my list of uh, horror movie shame. I'll say that. It don't be ashamed. Like it's 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 a <laughs> it's a minor '80s horror film. It it doesn't come up very often. You kind of have to look for it. But it's mm-hmm. it's a fun one, especially if you like him and his yeah. mustache, because that's the <laughs> foundation of his acting, apparently. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I never saw uh, Halloween Resurrection. Is that's in the box? I would assume. Resurrection. Which one is that? Buster <laughs> Rhymes. Oh yeah, that one. Uh, probably the worst of the entire series. But I don't know. There is something with that one even where it's kind of like you know it goes so off the rails that it is kind of like one. I'm kind of I'm more likely to go back and rewatch that one than like Halloween Five or whatever. You know, it's like that. The Resurrection is goofy and it's like lame. But there, there is some fun to it, and I think Buster Rhymes, honestly, is kind of a big part of that. As bad as he is in the movie, he does kind of save it because he's just, like, it's just so out there. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he brings some measure of enthusiasm to it. And, you know, it's not every day the end of your slasher movie is a, a hip-hop personality, like, fist fighting a slasher yeah. villain and winning <laughs> yeah, that, that's the one that ever the scene that everyone points to i think my favorite uh part of that movie is where uh, buster rhymes is like he puts on a michael myers mask and he walks up to michael myers and he's like what are you doing man i'm supposed to be wearing the michael myers mask what do you take that off and he's like talking to him and michael myers just stares at him and just lets him walk away <laughs> <laughs> like, you're not even worth it it's <laughs> so funny yeah uh, um, speaking of Halloween, uh, Halloween Kills. What's the status on that these days? I think it's still scheduled for October. Um, I mean, I would think if you know this isn't going to be the one where they keep delaying it by a couple weeks here and there. I mean, if this gets delayed, it's going to be delayed a whole year. But I think right now, it is on the calendar. Um, and I'm excited for it. I not like quite as excited as the last one because it feels like you know again they're kind of getting into the same thing it's like okay how can we keep this story going um but uh i think it'll be fun yeah i i mean i i got enough out of the previous one where it's like sure i'll, I'll take more of this mm-hmm. um i i hope they dial back the silly and and make it a little meaner this time around yeah um but if if not you know if the last one was actually a, a well put together film like it's actually a fucking movie yeah. <laughs> which you know sometimes with these lower budget like horror movies it, you don't even get that so yeah i'll, I'll check it out yeah. <laughs> i mean I, I would say that the last one was probably my second favorite of the franchise which isn't saying much but i mean i'd say other than the original i think it's the most competently put together and uh it's it, it was it was pretty good i feel like i feel like parts of two on paper should should make it like stand up to the first one in some ways but i don't know something in the details just gets muddled it doesn't quite come together but i, I think it's it's almost like jaws 2 where it's like 
there's no way you're going to measure up to that first one, but you know, fair fair enough try. <laughs> yeah, that's a good comparison actually. Yeah. I mean, if if not for the first one existing, it would be a perfectly serviceable slasher movie. Oh yeah. But, that's but that's the way Halloween, I look at it. Halloween is Halloween. Yep, the second one's it's just a good 80s slasher movie. Nothing more, yeah. nothing less. Yeah, it's boilerplate slasher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um well, I guess the ball's to me, and I'm going to have to move so I can show you something for a visual aid, so I'll be right back. All right, back. all right, all right. So this is my son, Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza. I love it. Yeah, I love so, it. Um, folks at home that can't see, uh, I have the diehard Nakatomi Plaza collection, which comes complete with big, gaudy uh, plastic skyscraper. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, as well as a Blu-ray slipcase um, with Die Hard 1 through 5 in it, along with some, like, fucking postcards or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hit upon a deal. Uh, I think it was directly through 20th Century Fox, maybe around the time of the Disney Troubles, <laughs> um, uh, because the price on this thing was pretty much equal to a normal box set for, oh, nice. for the Die Hard films. And I was like, yeah. well... I only actually really like like two and a half of these, but it is a big stupid tower, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it is yeah. cheap right now, and it's not always going to be cheap. So I bit the bullet. I I brought it into my home. It's obscene. <laughs> it, it it makes people judge me when they walk into my home. Um, now, where where do you set that? Like, it does it fit on the top of the shelf or? Yeah, I put okay. it on top of the shelf. I actually used to have a couple of shelves pulled out so i could like put it embed it in the shelf but then i got too many other movies so it had to mm-hmm. move to the top okay um, so now it sticks out like a sore thumb and looks way worse <laughs> <laughs> but um i mean it's well constructed it's a novel idea um but the truth of the matter is like i don't like are you super familiar with the diehard films i have not seen them all i will say that um so i'm not like a huge fan um, I do like the original quite a bit, though. I mean, I think it's a great film. It's a great action movie. Yeah. Uh, the first one, I mean, it's a, you know, straight-up classic. There's a reason why, you know, all the hipsters on the Internet want it to be the new American Christmas film. Yeah. Um, I don't entirely agree with that, but it, it is an immensely watchable mm-hmm. and immensely quotable as well. Um, I, I love the Die Hard movies. We had a running gag in my in my family home where uh, – my dad referred to them as the wise guy movies because my dad has a thing where he remembers things his own way. So he never remembered that they were called Die Hard. He was like, hey, you know the movie with the guy in the, in the tower, the, the wise guy. And I'd be like, oh, Die Hard? Be, yeah, the wise guy. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, he'll be like, wise guy number two's on, Trevor. He's like, Are you going to put it on? I'm like, uh, sure, dad. Why, wise guy two, wise harder? <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Die Hard movies, uh, for me personally, were like a, a cable TV experience where I yeah. saw most of them on edited like television, like TBS or TNT or what have you. Um, it was like a like a fun like late night experience where it's like, oh, maybe I'll get to stay up late and watch all of this edited violent movie <laughs> where he says, yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon <laughs> at the end of the movie. Um, but truthfully, like one is amazing, two is okay. Um, it's Rennie Harlan, and you get mm-hmm. what you pay for. Rennie yeah. Harlan gives you big, dumb, and loud. Um, my f- 
favorite interview with Rennie Harlan is about the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films. And uh, he has this line about, like, I, I know what teenage boys like. Because he's, like, fi- he's from Finland, I think. And he's like, I, I know what teenage boys like. And that's <laughs> that sums up everything in his filmography, where it's like, oh, yeah. I, now I get it. Like, I, okay. get, I get what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, wow, there sure are a lot of wet t-shirts in these Die Hard movies. <laughs> but, <laughs> but two is very much that, where it, it's kind of the, like, it's the dumb Die Hard, and they try to dial up the action but it ends up coming across as hokey mm-hmm. uh three is john mctiernan back in the director's chair and that's the one with samuel L. jackson and of course jeremy irons uh yeah fucking owning that role with simon gruber that's a good one although the action component of it is the least of it it's, it's okay. a strange action movie in that it has that like 90s disaster movie vibe where it's like secretly not an action movie it's just a lot of logistics it's a lot of people trying to get from point a to point b in a hurry and Mm -hmm. a lot a lot of sweat (laughs) but but in terms of like gunfire and like punches thrown in anger it's not a whole lot (laughs) and four four is like the divisive one i want to say that's the one that i think a lot of the diehard movies actually began as novels um, or as screenplays that were mutated and repurposed into Die Hard films. Because mm-hmm. I know the first movie was based on a novel um, that bears little resemblance to the, the film. But um, the fourth one, I think, was like a repurposed screenplay or something that they shoehorned the John McClane character into. And uh, have you seen four? I've seen four. Yeah, I have seen four. It's so, been a long time, long time. Um, It was the weird one because it came out in like, like 2007 or something like that and it was when they were starting to do the thing where they're uh, dialing back the violence quotient in their movies to try to get a pg-13 rating and mm-hmm. they were being really blatant about it um so seeing this movie uh in, in like the quote-unquote r-rated version it's totally not r-rated <laughs> like they, they just added some like digital squibs and uh re reinserted a couple of 80 yard lines of him saying the f word (laughs) yeah um it makes it slightly better but not to an extreme but i've always thought that four was okay a lot of people really hate it and it might just be because justin long's in it (laughs) (laughs) justin long very divisive uh i mean i know you guys commented on his navel in your jeepers creepers uh episode um so (laughs) (laughs) well just the other day kyle was texting me about how like this man is 39 playing a 29 year old in a rom-com what the fuck is this (laughs) what the fuck kind of snake oil are you trying to sell (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I remember kind of enjoying the fourth one i mean it didn't blow me away or anything but i i mean i don't really hate justin long so i that didn't have an issue with me i think it's just that it it you can tell that it's not really a, a diehard movie like yeah. he's just kind of there and occasionally shows up to kill some people and um also it didn't help that they dialed up his like his superpowers where he start. it's like hang on what why is he 20 years older and and like much more capable than he was in 1988 something's mm-hmm. wrong here <laughs> i'm kind of surprised kate beckinsale wasn't in the movie like, like um i forget the name of the director but it's the same fella that was it len wiseman uh are you talking underworld. like for the underworld movies or he directed die hard 4 also <laughs> oh he did oh okay okay yeah 
yeah um, he and kate beckinsale are an item so i was like oh okay i mean uh, maggie q kate beckinsale it's like it's like hmm, you'll do but you're you're not, you're not my wife but you you fit the template well enough yeah <laughs> it's like, like wardrobe needs to be tighter it's like it's like why because i'm the fucking director it's, it's like, sir it's a diehard movie i don't think there should be werewolves <laughs> werewolves might have made it better i mean i uh, i'm sure some people would have thought so at least <laughs> well, maybe that's why they had to make it PG thirteen because he maybe. like spent a whole bunch of production budget on like werewolf costumes that they're like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, oh shit, we got to recoup these losses. <laughs> um, and Die Hard five is a trash fire. Um, yeah, n- no, no one should, no one should see that. Um, I actually am very sad that I own it because uh, Die Hard four is awful. Die Hard five is awful. Um. I think I feel worse about this than I do American Assassin. <laughs> oh, oh wow. that that really says something too. Uh, it's bad. Like I I can't quite put my finger on how like exactly why it's so bad. And I think a lot of it just has to do with energy and passion and the lack mm-hmm. thereof. Yeah. Because uh, there's an amazing uh, car stunt sequence in the beginning where they basically destroy Russia. Um, they, they like take an armored vehicle onto a freeway in Russia and just go nuts mm. and it's pretty amazing but then as soon as they get out of the vehicle all the action scenes are just them like standing a hundred yards away from people and just spraying the room with gunfire mm-hmm. so it, it there's a sense of detachment where the Die Hard movies their their biggest selling point was how visceral the action was how like di- in the first one in particular John McClane always seemed like he was running away never seemed like he was straight up fighting with people he was just trying to make it out um but by the time you get to five it's like he literally has like an lmg and it's just like dum, 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 like not even fucking sweating and people are just running into his bullets yeah <laughs> it's it's a shit fucking movie and it bothers me that i own it so if they put out a uh collection that only had the first four would you buy that uh I, I mean, I, they got my money already, um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got the version I did because I get my big stupid tower, uh, and I actually had to do a little bit of research because apparently, um, not every disc of Die Hard Four includes the R-rated cut of it. Mm-hmm. Um, this one does, thankfully. So it's like okay, like, <laughs> it's like it's like that. If that means I have to take Die Hard Five with it to, in your in order to get the preferred version of the film, sure sure fine we just won't talk about it <laughs> lock it away in a room somewhere make sure it never sees the light of day i should yeah i should just like throw the disc out and then, <laughs> and then some poor soul will come in and, like start rooting through my stuff and be like oh man it's not complete yeah. <laughs> it's like why the fuck were you looking for that one in particular yeah <laughs> you don't want like for some reason the you know your nakatomi plaza set to like skyrocket in value where it's like you can sell them used for like just like oh let's go nuts here you can sell it used for ten thousand dollars or something and then you're like, oh man, ten thousand. All right, I'll, I can, you know, I can sell them, and or what? And then you go to sell them, and oh, you don't have the fifth one. Sorry, I can't. No, can't, can't get it. Can't buy it. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, anyway, though, that that's enough of me shitting on Die Hard Five. Um, Brad, what what else you got? Well, um, let's go with this one. Why not? I mean, if I 
calling this a top shelf treasure maybe is pushing it a little bit but you know what they say you never forget your first time and i will never forget my first blu-ray in x-men first class (laughs) which um I think it's uh, I'm definitely not a Blu-ray that I'm ashamed to say was my first. I don't know if I'd ever watched a Blu-ray before this one, but I know this is the first one that I owned. It was what I got when I first got a Blu-ray player. So maybe I'd seen a Blu-ray at somebody's house before this. I don't remember. But the, the first time I remember experiencing Blu-ray is I got the Blu-ray player, got X-Men First Class, got everything set up, and immediately put the disc into this and went to the scene where Magneto pulls the sub out of the water. And I just like remember crying. Like I had tears in my eye. It was just my, it, it, like it changed my life. It changed my life. I mean, I, I who knows if I would have been a, a collector of Blu-rays uh, if it had not been for this movie and that, uh, that scene. So, I mean, it definitely holds a special place in my heart as uh my first Blu-ray, and I do like the movie quite a bit. I, I am kind of a defender of the X-Men franchise. I think it's certainly one of my favorite superhero franchises. Um, I, I prefer it over the uh, MCU, the Marvel Universe. I think there's... It just... Uh, the X-Men films, they have lower lows, but they have much higher highs, I find. Um, like, I love X2, Logan, Days of Future Past. I think there's uh, some great stuff in there. And X-Men First Class is up there as uh, one of the better ones in the franchise as well. So, you know, it's got it's to be a special place in my heart just because it was my first time. Well, thanks for sharing, Brad, because that, that actually is exactly what the title of this episode is meant to represent. Because, again, it's not the quality of the film. It's what it means to you. And, mm-hmm. um yeah, that, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Is now I know what your first Blu-ray was. There you go. Um, there you go. Yeah, I, I can see why that would be a great showcase for the format. Um, mm-hmm. That scene in particular. I mean, uh, Henry Jackman. That was actually the first time I took notice of him as a composer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, uh, I think some of the montages earlier in the movie were what caught my ear first. But the subsequence was where the score really like kicked in, and I was like, ah. I like this guy. I'm going to keep my eye on him or my ear rather. And sure enough, the MCU gobbled him up and he became like the guy uh, for a lot of their films. Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I like first class. It's, it's a fun one. Um, It, it has a little bit of uh, what I like to call inglorious bastards disease where I want to say there was a little moment in Hollywood history where it's like, it was very fashionable to have your cast speak multiple languages Mm -hmm. um, because it gives your, your actors a little bit of room to flex where it's like hey i can i can speak other languages <laughs> sometimes <laughs> like yeah. in michael fassbender's case it's like no he, he straight up can but kevin bacon it's like i don't think he speaks german at home <laughs> <laughs> no but in this I, I movie he gets to pretend <laughs> yeah. yeah um but yeah like it, it's a it's a fun movie it was like kind of it breathed a lot of new life into that franchise for sure mm-hmm. i was actually really disappointed that um he who we do not speak of anymore uh, brian singer took the reins like until dark phoenix yeah um and i'm um, as far as i remember he was actually scheduled to do dark phoenix until the troubles <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. um, which, which de- i thought de- actually turned out okay <laughs> like, dark phoenix or yeah i liked not, it not way more than not most people did apparently yeah <laughs> It seems like everybody kind of wrote that movie off, which 
you know, it's kind of like an easy punching bag of a movie because it's like, well, they've already said that basically the X-Men are scrapped at this point. So this movie is kind of just like, I don't want to say it's worthless, but in terms of like building the rest of your franchise, it kind of is just a write off at that point when they released it. So I could see where people just kind of viewed it as like, oh, this is just, there's no point in seeing it. It's not that great, but certainly is not my favorite of the the franchise, but I do think uh, it had its moments and yeah, I mean, really, I'm trying to, th- I could be wrong, but uh, I was going to say the only one I dislike is X-Men The Last Stand, but that, that I do also dislike uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Forgot about that one. So, <laughs> Hey, that movie is tremendous if you see the un- uh, the work print version of it, um, <laughs> which I was very fortunate in college to see. Um, I had a friend, my roommate, he uh, acquired through non-traditional means a work print of X-Men Origins, like... Uh, probably a couple weeks before it came to theaters mm-hmm. uh, and seeing seeing it with the incomplete special effects is the way to fucking see that movie I they bet. should release I that bet. on a fucking disc um because seeing those um just like untextured white cgi like test crash test dummies um, yeah. do all the action bits like there's a there's a part when leaf schreiber throws a digital like just straight white like sheet white wolverine into like a a truck full of uh untextured white cylinders that are meant to represent <laughs> logs yeah uh, and then the whole uh the nuclear cooling tower sequence is just represented by various polygons falling from the sky and and like blatant instances where it's like oh that's straight up just like the green screen like we, we didn't even bother to fill it with anything <laughs> <laughs> um, no that's the way to see that movie but actually my least favorite is i want to say apocalypse Oh, um, I I gotta disagree with you on that one. I I'm a bit of a, an apocalypse defender, <laughs> an apocalypse apologist. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, what what about it works for you? Because I thought it was laughable. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I I thought there was. Uh, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I thought there were some pretty great moments in it. Like I love the whole thing with uh, like Magneto's whole subplot with his family and him like tearing apart. I, doesn't he tear apart like a concentration camp or something? Go, and I think they go to Auschwitz and he yeah. blows it up. <laughs> I, I, I loved all that. Like I thought that was so out there and weird for like a mainstream superhero movie. I like that. Um, I, I I agree. The third act, like the big finale fight, is kind of lame. Um, but I don't know. I just I remember kind of enjoying it, and I I, I was in the minority. I actually liked. Uh, Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse. I mean, I don't know anything about the character. I think some people said they they butchered the character, but I liked him and his look, and you know, it just very felt very weirdly unpolished, I guess, in a way. Like not unpolished, but it felt like they did some things that were a little out there, a little grotesque at times, and I, I appreciated that in a mainstream blockbuster. Well, yeah, I mean the the scene in a when they pick up Angel before he's Archangel, like when they pick him up in what looks like something straight out of uh, like a Joel Schumacher movie or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like th- this movie is put together by a particular, like a, a singular voice, I guess. It doesn't have that like washed out MCU feel to it where it's like, you can tell this is cranked out in a factory somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell it's like, no, this is a Brian Singer film, um, warts and all. So that counts yeah. for something, uh, even though we don't talk about him anymore. But, <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I need to rewatch it. I'm not in any hurry, but I, I, I think if either of us need to rewatch it, it's probably me. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> probably. I'm scared. I'm scared to rewatch it. I mean, the last stand is is hokey and rushed and just dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would put them on the same tier. I, I I would feel like a bad person putting the last stand above any other movie in a franchise. Like that just feels icky to say because <laughs> that yeah. movie's kind of trash. Um, the it's end of it bad. feels like a really bad anime, <laughs> like a really bad one. <laughs> but um, Apocalypse, like Oscar Isaac, I, I I liked what he was trying to do. But um, people of a certain age, that um, basically people who grew up watching the uh, '90s cartoon of the X Men, like the early '90s animated show, I think I think there's a problem amongst us where we can't see Apocalypse beyond that. Okay. Because that version of the character was just too good. Like, the voice for that character was perfect. Um, his ridiculous, like, level of overpoweredness um, was, like, pitch perfect in that show. So I think it was I think it was a tall order for anyone. But I like that he at least tried something different. Like, he speaks in a hushed tone most of the movie. Uh, the costume, I thought, was a little unfortunate because... Uh, Early on, the internet tore it to pieces and said he looks like Ivan Ooze from the Power Rangers movie, and he <laughs> fucking does. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, speaking from experience, it's like, eh, I'm intimately familiar with Ivan Ooze, and that's Ivan Ooze. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I don't. I would rewatch it again, mostly because uh, I think it might be the only movie in that franchise I've only seen once, um, which is weird. <laughs> well. Let, let me read you this. I just pulled up my Letterboxd review, which was published when this came out in 2016. And let me read you this line. And it, it might go to explain why I was so hot on this thing. I said, It baffles me that this thing is getting generally negative reviews, while something like Captain America Civil War is sitting on Rotten Tomatoes with a 90%. Wow. <laughs> so I might have gone into this with a little bit of an agenda after being so underwhelmed with Civil War. But, Salty uh, Brad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm picking up on a bit of an agenda here where it's like you're very down with the MCU, up with the X-Men. <laughs> Especially at this time. I, I've got, I've, the MCU's come around. They've done some great stuff since. But I feel like this era, they were I, they were getting like universal praise, but just the stuff they were putting out was just kind of bland Really not that interesting action garbage, honestly. Well, I mean, but. there is something to be said for backing the underdog. Where, mm-hmm. like I said, the the benefit of the X Men movies, um, having only a few directors across many many movies, was that it's like it does feel like in, individuals are carrying this rather than like an entire like the fucking Disney banner. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. it feels like you're watching an individual movie from an individual voice. Um, and like you said, by the time you get to Dark Phoenix, you everybody saw the writing on the wall. Um, that movie was all but abandoned. Um, I mean, we <laughs> the fucking New Mutants movie still hasn't come out. <laughs> <laughs> and you it's better like believe I'm going to defend that one when it finally does get released. Uh, but so what? What I take away from this whole discussion is that in the for Overwatch, there is Battleborn, and in Brad's eyes, I'm going to back Battleborn, <laughs> <laughs> while everyone else is like, I don't know, man, I'm pretty sure Battleborn's done. <laughs> it's yeah. like, no way, man, so much better <laughs> in every yeah. way. I do have to say that this uh, original review of X-Men Apocalypse, published in 2016, 
before I really knew anything about uh, Brian Singer, and I guess before most people knew about him. Um, I might have to scrub this review because uh, me going on and on about how much I like this movie and how great Brian Singer did, I might have to. Uh, I might have to scrub this. You should Doesn't do play fine, too well. You should today. do a find replace. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, how did I mention him fifty six times in two paragraphs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So might have to do uh, some editing there. <laughs> Good idea, but um, just to. I'm not going to go into detail about it, but being as you shared your first Blu-ray, um, I'll just throw out there that I think it's perfectly fitting. My first Blu-ray was Iron Man 2 from there the MCU. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. Like, argue, like, arguably, like, the kickoff point for the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that puts me on the other end of the aisle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes sense that we would both have a superhero movie as our first Blu-rays cuz you're going to you want to pick something big, you want to pick something, you know, that's got, you know, big budget, special effects, you can a demo disc type movie and at the time and still kind of now, like those were the the big movies. So it's like you want to pick out a new release, you got to go with some sort of a superhero movie. Yeah, no, I mean that was exactly my logic and I had I'd seen it in theater, so it was mm-hmm. my second time viewing the movie, but I was like, you know what? I think it's about time I get I get into that HD thing all the kids are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the game um, was forever changed. Now we're up to 4K, and yeah. hopefully they don't rush that 8K shit out the door. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hopefully not. All right, what do you uh, got? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with four movies in a row here. This is All cruel, right. I know. Um, That's this okay. Is me That's taking okay. Advantage. But um, I'm going to. The reason I want to spotlight these is because these are indie to an extreme. Uh, these are mm-hmm. movies that you got to basically buy it from the people who made it. Um, and it makes me very proud to own these movies uh, because I support the people who make them. Um, and not only that, like, in some cases, half of why I wanted to own the disc was just so I could see the supplements that came with them. Uh, mm-hmm. because they weren't readily available to the public and because I support these personalities these filmmakers um it was very important to me to like see how they actually make this shit that I've been enjoying over these years uh so anyway to start sharing um first one here is a DVD of Gorilla Interrupted <laughs> um remastered special edition um along with a blu-ray of Space Cop. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, do either of these names mean anything to you, Brad? <laughs> so far, I am 0 for 2. Okay. Uh, so, these movies, these two movies, uh, are made by some folks over in Wisconsin, I believe. Uh, oh, Milwaukee, okay. I believe. Uh, uh, th- they have a YouTube channel called Red Letter Media. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they do uh, movie reviews. Uh, they went viral uh, several years ago when they made a very strange uh review for uh star wars episode one um, <laughs> your face tells me you might be familiar oh yeah very familiar very familiar with, with the uh, mr plinkett review yeah <laughs> um uh, anyway these guys have been churning out content on like consistently since then um and the plinkett stuff was great and all but when they started doing their stuff like they just started doing their like hangout videos where it almost has like a mystery science theater 3000 vibe that's when I really started to resonate with, with their particular brand. Mm-hmm. And I watch their stuff religiously. Um, I, I, I don't know. There's just something about them that I really like. Uh, they have a sense of humor that I, 
I guess I level with in some ways. Um, and the fact that I do a movie podcast says that, you know, maybe we have some things in common. Um, anyway, uh, I paid actual money for these discs for these horrible movies because they, <laughs> I guess, I th- want to say they are filmmakers by trade. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if that means videographers or actual filmmakers. I think at least a couple of them actually went to film school. Um, but the Gorilla Interrupted disc, uh, this movie came out. They made this when they were like 20 years old. On oh, really? Um, and it shows. Uh, yeah. It's terrible. And it was shot <laughs> on a mini DV cam and not even a good one. <laughs> um, and the reason I was so desperate to get it pulled of this DVD is that it comes with a documentary called how not to make a movie with, mm. it's just them doing a retrospective, like 10 years after the matter, talking about what it, what it was to make this piece of shit movie. Yeah. Um, and it was really, really illuminating to see all that. And not only that, just the novelty of seeing these personalities that you've been, you know, watching on YouTube for a few years now, like see them as like children, basically <laughs> like it, it really resonated with me because I make movies with my friends every once in a while. Um, and it really had that kind of feel where it's like, I've fucking done this. Um, only difference is I, you know, haven't gotten far enough along that anybody would care to see a documentary about it. Um, space cop came out only a couple years ago. Um, and it's a huge step up in quality, but that doesn't mean it's actually good. Um, but it comes with all like the same bells and whistles you would expect from any, anything they put out. Um, and like I said, uh, worth the money for me probably not anyone else yeah um but i'll keep moving along here um i also have a blu-ray of the angry video game nerd movie (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure are you familiar with this particular youtuber uh i know the name but nothing else okay he's based in pennsylvania and uh he uh he's been putting out youtube content pretty much since youtube came out um and uh, he he does mostly like retro video game stuff i happen to be a fan of retro video games i have an extensive collection myself um and I, this copy of the movie um came via a kickstarter program so he actually made a feature film um mm-hmm. it's not an amazing film by any means but um it's just kind of neat seeing that it's like a, a dream fulfilled um because he uh, he uh, james rolf also went to film school and also actually has made films on his own time outside of YouTube, like actual films. Um, but this was an opportunity to actually make something with a budget with demand behind it. Um, anyway, uh, I had a chance to go to the Portland retro game expo, uh, just last year. And, uh, I got it autographed by him as well as a couple of his friends who saw fit to draw their name on his crotch. Uh, So (laughs) I just noticed that (laughs) that's great. Um, that is definitely one. top shelf treasure then that is definitely top shelf yeah uh, it, it was kind of neat it, actually i'm i'm not a meet and greet kind of guy i could not care less about autographs but it was the mm-hmm. kind of thing where it's like you know he lives on the opposite coast this is like the one time he's come out to the west coast like sure i'll, I'll stand in line for a bit and i got really lucky with that line too <laughs> oh yeah um and meeting the man made a difference, like meet, meeting the guy and just saying thanks for, you know, providing lots of hours of entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. That's really all I wanted to do, and I uh, accomplished that. But um, the last one I'll talk about of my uh, super-duper indie movies is a uh, uh, Coup de Cinema. Mm. Uh, this is a Hapstance Films production. This was written and directed by Sean Parker and Austin Hillebrecht. Uh, I went to college with Sean Parker. 
Um, I'm, I met him through my roommate who was in the film program at the Evergreen State College. And uh, I was in a short film he made for, for class called Spoons, where I got to beat up my roommate on camera and <laughs> run around <laughs> the woods. Um, and after that, you know, I kept in touch with him and occasionally would pop up in some of his short films he was making for YouTube and whatnot. And uh, Coup de Cinema is a legit feature film. Uh, yeah, that he he had the opportunity to make with the budget and like actual acting talent uh, backing it, um, and I'm in like three seconds of it. Hey, there <laughs> you go. I well, have an IMDb role? credit thanks to this movie. <laughs> you can actually look me up. I think I play like Killer Clown. I think is the name of the character. Killer Clown. <laughs> uh, I get to shoot myself on film multiple times. That was pretty cool. Oh, I got wow. to fall down some hills. Nice. Um, no, nice. no actual squibs, just digital ones. But yeah. Um, just being just being friends with this guy, uh, Sean Parker, has afforded me a lot of really cool opportunities in my life. Um, so I saw fit to throw a few bucks his way so I could have a, a Blu-ray copy of his movie uh, just as a reminder of like, the fact that it's like, hey, I know that guy, and he did a thing, and it's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, I would say th- those indies that you highlighted, like those are – you know, I would consider them gems of the collection. I mean, you're in one of them. One of them's autographed. I mean, definitely. I feel like uh, I'm I'm looking at your collection, and I, I this just might be me because just because I you know it's a different collection than mine. But I feel like yours has way more interesting kind of below the radar you know gems than mine does. Which because uh, I don't think I really have much of anything that's kind of similar to any of those really. Well, give it time, Brad. <laughs> like, honestly, <laughs> like collections only grow. They generally don't shrink. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah. Uh, shelf space is forever limited. <laughs> um, that being said, though, uh, what else you got, Brad? Um, let's see. Let's go with. Oh, let's go. You know, I, I told myself I wasn't going to pick too many uh, criterions to highlight because, honestly, we're talking top shelf could do the whole episode just on my criterions really but i tried to limit it um and uh, this one i'll mention i think was my first criterion purchase so you know it's got a little bit of value in that alone but it was also maybe my favorite film in the entire collection and that is uh 12 angry men uh directed by Sidney lumet which um you know before i bought this movie i'd heard you know it's a classic it's amazing but whatever um and that that was kind of one of my main reasons for buying it. I bought it before I'd ever seen it. But also, I love the cover is just amazing. Like it's got to be up there as one of my favorite movie covers ever. Um, but yeah, it really is an amazing movie. Uh, still holds up as one of my favorites. I'm sure I had it in my top 100. Just absolutely riveting. Um, great performances and very ahead of its time in its message as well. It's very you know, for 1957, very progressive and uh, very interesting in that regard. And just watching how, you know, this one dissenter can slowly turn the tide in the room. And I just love the idea of you just slowly start to see, okay, well, then he convinces one guy that maybe he's not guilty. Then then another, then another. And it's just kind of like cool to see the tide turn um, and the ending with the, I can't remember the guy's, the actor's name. But the the one guy who is you know the whole like have you seen this movie? I actually haven't. Um, okay. In my mind, it's funny. I get my wires crossed, and for some reason, I keep thinking of rope. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, I won't uh, I won't spoil the ending then, but uh, the end the ending is uh, it's it's great. It's it's really good, and yeah, it's it's an amazing film. Um, I, th- I think I've heard you guys. I think you talked about Sidney Lumet when you did uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which Correct, is yeah. um, another film of his that I love. And those honestly might be the only two films of his that I've seen. Uh, he did Dog Day Afternoon, I believe, but I haven't seen that. But um, uh, yeah, I have. 12... It's quite okay. good. Yeah, yeah. Twelve Angry Men is great. Um, so yeah. Um, I'm starting to see another theme popping up here. I think this happened last time we recorded, Brad. Where I think mm-hmm. last time it was um, like chance encounter romances or something yeah. like that. Um, or fleeting romances, I guess. Yeah. It's like it's it's only gonna last so long. You gotta cherish it. Like, <laughs> I guess the, I guess the theme for this episode for for Brad's psychology is the underdog. <laughs> yeah. Like fighting against the tide. It's a little like bit, those, yeah, yeah. I those guess X Men, so, yeah. they're 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 just so plucky. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like they, they're fighting against Mickey Mouse and his and his his army of Disney peoples. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're gonna lose in the end, but but gosh darn it, it's just so plucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You always got to root for an underdog. That's that's why Rocky's so great. I mean, you know, it's just. Uh... <laughs> i mean it's a stretch but i'm just like I'm trying to piece together a theme for the episode but i th- mm-hmm. I think my dad told me about 12 angry men um when i was very young probably too young to care but it's it's one of those movies i know it by reputation but like i said i get confused with other things and that's maybe yeah. why i haven't like dove in and checked it out um, it's it's a good summertime watch too because I believe if I'm remembering it's very hot like the day that they have their you know the trial or what it's like very hot in the jury room so they're sweating they've got the windows open fans going so it's a very you know thinking of like summertime movies hot like you know, do the right thing this kind of goes right along with it you know it's like the hottest day of the year type thing so be a good one to check out in the summertime is it like a like a jury or a trial deliberation or something yeah, it's basically uh, you open on this courtroom and there's uh, a young man who's been uh, put on trial for murder. Um, and he is, I think he's maybe Puerto Rican. Um, yeah, he's a Puerto Rican teenager who's been put on trial. And obviously, you know, back in the 50s, there was, you know, a lot of prejudices and stuff. So, you know, it's this all white jury, all men, and immediately they go into the jury room, and eleven of them are like, "He did it, obviously he did it." And there's one guy, Henry Fonda, who's the holdout, and he says, "Hang on now, let's let's talk about this. We can't just like, you know, put this guy away for a life, or potentially, I can't remember. Maybe he's, I can't remember if he's up for the death penalty or not. But he's like, we need to talk about this, and it's like they kind of go through the case, and it is in some ways like a investigative film because they're going through the evidence they've been given and kind of like analyzing it and being like, wait, this doesn't make sense. How does it? And they kind of do some reenactments in the jury room. Um, and it falls in a few sweet spots for me. It's only like 96 minutes all takes place almost entirely in one room. And, uh, it's, um, all over one day. So, you know, I, I love those kind of gimmicks. It's just, it's, it's, it's great. God, this this happens every time we record, Brad. But I wish Kyle was in the room because you're like hitting all the bullet points for him. Where it's like, yeah, ooh. yeah. It's like ooh, less than two hours. <laughs> ooh, one room. Ooh, summer movie. <laughs> it's yep, like yep. I don't know if he's seen it. I'll have to ask. But um, yeah, he he would probably he'd probably want to check that out. So I'll have to remind him. Mm-hmm. Um, does it, it's a Criterion disc, so I'd imagine like the the extras are 
up the wazoo. I think so. Uh, let me. T- I'm, honestly, I'm not sure if I've ever actually checked out the extras. It does. Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's some good stuff in here. You've got because um, originally it was a television movie, um, and you've got the original television version on here as well, um, which I haven't seen. But yeah, so it's uh it's definitely worth checking out. It's it's a classic. You know, sometimes I hate to say it, but you watch some of these classics and you're like, well, you know, I can understand why it's a classic, but didn't quite hit my buttons. This one is a classic that for me hit all the right places. Okay. Well, I'll have to put it on my watch list cuz it, mm-hmm. it sounds yeah. like it sounds like it it's certainly worth my time. Yeah. Um and it Definitely. is a summer it is the summertime and you know, Yeah, yeah. It's it's important to go go with the seasons with your viewing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so I'm going to I'm going to throw you a curveball here and give you something pretty dumb. <laughs> so in stark contrast to your Criterion release. Oh boy. Um I have uh The Punisher from I believe it's 1988 or 89. This would be the Dolph Lundgren version of the character. Um, I'll be honest. I don't think I have knew this movie existed. <laughs> oh, for real? <laughs> I don't. I can't believe I didn't know about this. But yeah, <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, this was I believe the first time the character was committed to film. Um. Unless he was in like what, like one of those Incredible Hulk TV versions or something. Because, um, it's really funny to look back on but a lot of marvel characters uh, made their screen debut via that tv show like daredevil yeah. and like thor popped up in in that show but i don't think the punisher ever did prior to this film um this is uh from umbrella entertainment which is a australian disc publisher um i only own two of their discs um this one and razorback which is a russell mulcahy movie about a killer boar um it's, apparently mm-hmm. quentin tarantino's a fan of that but uh okay this movie is uh it's funny because it's actually an australian movie um but they try really hard to pretend it's not <laughs> so like <laughs> everyone in the like uh louis, louis gossett jr is in it as well um so you have a big swedish guy with dyed black hair um <laughs> a black american guy and it's shot in australia oh yeah and the bad guy is a dutchman playing an italian but that's wow. in Australia. <laughs> so this is like the United Nations of movies. Oh yeah, and the bad guys are the Yakuza. So <laughs> really, this is like everybody. I, I'm liking this. Yeah, all all nations involved. The Punisher kills indiscriminately. But um, but yeah, Jerome Crabe plays the uh, the villain. Apparently, he's a big fucking deal. I think he won like an Oscar or something. But he's mm. uh, he's the bad guy in the Fugitive, uh, okay. the Harrison okay. Ford version. Um, anyway, uh, this movie's not amazing um although it does have a couple of standout sequences like they have a little bit of a nod to the uh the indiana jones gun gag where you know the sword the arab swordsman comes out and he does the shrug mm-hmm. and the shoot they have an equivalent of that with a bunch of uh it's weird for some reason the yakuza are are, are also samurai in this movie um even <laughs> though it, te- it takes place in modern times <laughs> yeah. um, so for whatever reason they're all they're all hanging out in a dojo which is in a skyscraper <laughs> um, and they all have swords in their lap and they all like he the elevator doors open and uh, the punisher just sprays the room with gunfire before they can stand up <laughs> um, it's pretty great but this sounds um, pretty good i have to say it's fun like it, yeah. it's good 80s trash um it's uh i think the first time i saw it it was on tv 
Um, so it was edited slightly. It's a little bit more violent than you would expect from a comic book movie um, of mm-hmm. this of this vintage. Um, anyway, the, the whole reason I have this particular Blu-ray, this Australian Blu-ray, um, I also own this movie on DVD, so I've, I've bought the fucking Dolph Lundgren Punisher twice. <laughs> um, the reason I have this version of the movie, though, is because I was not aware of it until very recently, but there is actually an unrated cut of the film. Oh, um, okay. but it's one of those ugly unrated cuts where every time the extra violence is inserted, it's like the uh, the older prints of the X-rated version of RoboCop, where the 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 image is really grainy. Like yeah. you can tell this was not meant to be put in theaters. Like we didn't mm-hmm. process the film the same way or something. So it's really jarring and bizarre. But it's just something I wasn't aware of, and uh, just in, the fact in some that it ways, existed. in some ways, though, let me throw this out there. I, I kind of, because uh, I can think of uh, Michael Mann's Manhunter on the Blu-ray has his director's cut, and it's like that. And I I agree, it is jarring and distracting, but in some ways it's kind of nice because you don't have to, like, you're not watching the movie and questioning, like, wait, was that in the theatrical cut, or was this part of the unrated cut? It's like, you know if it's part of the unrated cut because you can visually tell. So in some ways it's I dislike it, but in some ways I do kind of think there's a little bit of benefit to that. No, I know where you're coming from because uh, I remember going on like moviecensorship.com and stuff because I was uncertain as to whether I was watching like a different version of the movie or not. And it's mm-hmm. like something feels wrong here. Then you look at it and it's like only if you put it under a microscope would you even be able to tell. Or like they do weird things where it's like um, I hate it when studios do this. They they package like a horror movie or an action movie as being like unrated director's cut. And in actuality, all that means is they like moved a dialogue scene or something yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. or they took out an extraneous shot of someone opening a door or something <laughs> it's like you didn't touch the action component of it like i yeah. think that's the case with uh the rambo last blood um extended cut oh, okay i don't know what the fucking story is behind that because everything i've read about suggests that there's a a prologue sequence in that movie where it's like john rambo saving some people from a flood or something oh yeah i do Um, remember i think it was in some like international markets they play that was part of the film but they cut it over here i want to say i don't know why you would cut it though because the movie doesn't open very strongly like the normal version of the movie not that it's an amazing movie but like i think it would probably be better to keep it in there and then apparently uh, the other elements of the extended version have nothing to do with the action component or even the violence. Apparently, it's just a couple of extra, very helpful dialogue scenes that flesh out the characters more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what the story is there, why they would, hmm. why they would restrict that to only certain regions. But um, yeah, it's it's certainly not the same case as uh, was the case with Iron Man three, where it's like we have the Chinese version of the movie, and then we have every everyone else's version. <laughs> But mm-hmm. yeah, um, so yeah, this this movie, um, I wouldn't say rush out to watch it or anything, um, but if you want a trashy '80s movie and you can, you know, stomach Dolph Lundgren's dyed hair, uh, <laughs> maybe check it out. Might be tough to stomach, uh, but yeah, uh, balls to you, Brad. What do you got next? Yeah, uh, I'll keep it going on the schlocky train. Uh, something schlocky of my own. This is a movie that, uh, you know, is it a top-shelf treasure? I guess it's debatable. But the reason I'm including it is it's one that I just recently got a Blu-ray release, and for the longest time it was, like, 
close to the top of my I want this on Blu-ray. Um, and that is the House on Haunted Hill remake from 1999, I think it came out. Um, and this isn't a great movie, but I, there's something about it that I just, I love. I love this movie. I, I think it's partly nostalgia because I think, you know, when this started popping up on cable, it would pop up every single Halloween and I'd just be like, oh yeah, House on Haunted Hill. And I watch it like every year. Um, but yeah, this movie, I just, I, I do think it's a lot of fun. And um, I have seen the original, that one, you know, it's got its merits as well, but this one kind of just takes it, modernizes it. And I think it, it, it juices the story a little bit and it does it in a, some interesting ways. Um, like I, I could be misremembering, but have you seen the original House on Haunted Hill? Is that the one with the skeleton on roller skates? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I have. <laughs> and I could be wrong, but isn't it that the go- there's no actual ghosts in that one? Um, it's, it's either all... that or The Haunting, which is about like psychological trauma or something. Yeah, The Haunt. I've seen The Haunt. Yeah, I, I can't remember. But anyway, this one, there, there are definitely, there is a supernatural element of this one that's for sure. Um, and I think part of the reason I love this movie so much, I think the cast is actually pretty good. You got Jeffrey Rush... Uh, Allie Larder, Peter Gallagher. <laughs> Man, that, I mean, maybe it's not that good. But... <laughs> is that the guy from the OC or Mr. Deeds? <laughs> yeah. Um, Famke Jansen. Um, mm, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I do like Jeffrey Rush. I think he plays the Vincent Price role very well. And the, I mean, the main reason I love this movie, I think, is the one of the opening scenes where they're at the guy's theme park. And uh, have you ever seen the opening of this movie with the theme park at all? Elevator? Yeah, the elevator followed by the the roller coaster, the fake roller coaster crash. I, I don't, I, it's so ridiculous, but I just, I love those scenes. It's, they're so much fun. And yeah, for a long time, I was like, I just, I couldn't figure out why this wasn't on Blu-ray. I guess I didn't look into it too much. I don't know if there was something with the rights or anything, but uh yeah, now that it's finally on Blu-ray, I'm glad to have it, and I did rewatch it last uh, year, Halloween time, I think, and uh, I thought it was great. I still, I still really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, that's a movie that I think both Kyle and I have have mentioned a couple of times on the show, where it's like I think I only saw it when it first came to like VHS, mm-hmm. um, but something about it stuck with me, and I remember liking it. Um, I remember yeah. it was really brutal at times where like unexpectedly Mm -hmm. so like pencils if i say the word pencils to you in reference to that movie you probably know what i'm talking about (laughs) that comes out of nowhere but it's like whoa that's a lot of pencils (laughs) 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 and then you know some of the unexpected like character deaths where it's like hmm the pretty gal (laughs) like Mm -hmm. like, early (laughs) but um yeah it it has an edge to it and something to do with the the care and the love put into the pressure production design yeah um that particular era of horror is weird to me because i only remember it like there's a haze covering my memories of it but i remember sets were really in like Mm -hmm. ghost ship and 13 ghosts and stuff yeah yeah Um, and there was a lot of love and care put into like designing sets and like monsters and actually like makeup effects and violence were pretty amped up despite like despite it feeling like we were trending away from that. So I feel like maybe that's how those movies slipped through the cracks a little bit, is that like the the broader mainstream trends were were pulling away from everything that was coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I would like to rewatch that one because I, I want to say it has come up in conversation a few times. And um, I remember the ending didn't really do much for me, but the the ride up until then, I was like, this is fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, like and the, I, uh, I like the effects on the ghosts too, like the that static effect and the yeah. jerky jerky motion. Yeah, that's all really cool. I I like you said the setting, the house that it takes place in is just so awesome. I love that. Um, and you know the haunted uh, the haunted laptop computer that invites all these people in the uh, opening scene or in one of the opening scenes. Always, uh, you know, watching this. I don't know how how old I would have been when I first saw this. Maybe middle school or something. But I was always just like that blew my mind. I was like, so wait, is the ghost in the computer? I just- <laughs> So hang on, if I go to fear.com, will I meet Steven Dorff? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely a fun one. I feel like it did, at least from what I can tell review-wise, it did kind of get trashed when it first came out, and I don't know if part of that might have just been because it was a remake, people kind of just wrote it off or whatever, but uh, I, I think it's uh, a solid horror film. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I Man, now I really want to check it out again. Um, weird tangent, but um, have you ever heard of a video game series called The Suffering? I don't think so, no. Okay, well, it came out maybe a year or two after the movie. Um, it takes place in a prison. The, the monsters in it were designed by Stan Winston. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, uh, and all the monsters are uh, designed, af- they're themed after like methods of execution. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, it's just like God of War in a prison and guns instead of chains. <laughs> I, it was a PS2 game. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, they I want to say they borrowed a lot of elements from uh, House on Haunted Hill, like the the static effect on the ghosts and whatnot. And I think I want to say there's like a projector in House on Haunted Hill as well at some point that comes into play. I think so. And that was a huge element in the design for the suffering. So hmm. I can't think of one without thinking of the other. Anyway, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> might might have to tr- try and get a rem- uh, remaster of the game going off the ground, or if I could figure out uh, my controller situation, maybe I can pull out my PS2. But uh, as of right now, I don't think any of my PS2 controllers work. So <laughs> hmm. fortunately, uh, I won't be able to do that. But it's um, like, well, you you can look at the main menu. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you can drink that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it might be. It might have a good menu. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, um, hmm, what am I gonna throw at you next, Brad? Because uh, the Punisher was kind of out of left field. It's it's not strictly a top shelf treasure, but it is something I'm proud to own just because of the novelty of just the fact that it exists, and this yeah. is the only way to get it. That's kind of cool. Um, well, why not? Uh, so I have a DVD box set here. DVD, I know it's a four-letter word, <laughs> even though it's actually three. Um, <laughs> so this is Common Rider V3, uh, the complete collection. This is a six-disc collector's edition box set um, published by Generation Kikaida, um, based in Hawaii. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so pretty much half of my family lives in Hawaii. Um, I get to go out to visit them every so often, not as often as I would like. Um, and one thing that's kind of neat about, uh, having family in Hawaii is, and well, Japanese family in Hawaii is that like, uh, a lot of Japanese products and culture 
just exists there um just really? naturally oh, yeah. okay um so it's just it's just there um because there's a very large japanese population um and it's to your benefit to cater to the populace <laughs> um, yeah. um anyway uh this also translates to like television stuff uh, so there's certain like local channels that just have Japanese television. Um, mm. The Korean soap operas really took off over there, <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> they, so they have those on TV, and everybody watches them. Uh, if you've never treated yourself to a Korean drama, you are missing the fuck out because <laughs> 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 uh, they're juicy and they're great, <laughs> and they're they're much higher production quality than you would than you would expect. Um, mm-hmm. But one one uh offshoot of that of having uh japanese products like on the local television is that uh they also got schlock like ultraman and common rider <laughs> um and in particular they got a uh, uh the genre is called tokusatsu so tokusatsu is it translates to, like special effects photography uh so mm-hmm. picture in your mind ultraman godzilla power rangers men in rubber suits blowing things up with fireworks <laughs> um they got a lot of those shows and in particular they got one called kikaida uh that uh involves a man in a uh, blue leisure suit and a motorcycle helmet playing the guitar and turning into a cyborg pinocchio and beating ass every week <laughs> <laughs> tune in every saturday morning <laughs> sounds like meatloaf <laughs> i should put that together just put together a meme where it's just, it's obviously kikaido and it's just like is that meatloaf <laughs> i mean that would be pretty great if meatloaf turned into a giant rubber monster and you know fought godzilla it's oh wait that just describes meatloaf yeah. on the weekends <laughs> but uh that's where this uh disc publishing company uh takes their name uh generation kikaida is uh mm-hmm. In the early seventies, they uh, they broadcast that TV show. Uh, so uh, a lot of the locals grew up and decided, "Hey, we still like that thing, so we're going to pay the rights fees to license that thing." Uh, so, as far as I know, the only way to get that show on like Region One DVD or Blu-ray is via a small publisher in Hawaii. <laughs> um, really? And uh, wow. also, they printed this box set uh, for Common Rider V3, which is part of the Common Rider series, which will never fucking end. It started <laughs> in like 1972 or 73 and continues to this day, just like many other franchises. Um, and Common Rider V3 is a good fucking time. Um, it's just a, it's the equivalent of like Japanese Doctor Who, where it's like, this is obviously for children. The special effects are obviously subpar. Um, mm-hmm. and you're you're meant to know what what to expect every week and yet it never loses its novelty and we only have five pieces of music but god damn it we're going to use every one of them in every <laughs> 23 minute episode <laughs> um but yeah i bought this like a long time ago uh when i was visiting family and stuff i just saw it on a shelf and i was like holy fucking shit that's like a real dvd collection not a bootleg because those are easy to find yeah (laughs) those are real easy to find um and you found it on a shelf like you didn't even order it it just like it was just there um it was it was that's the best that's the best kind yeah it was in a convenience store like it was there it was like wow sure buy local (laughs) you didn't find it it found you absolutely like like i saw it and i was like hang on like look at that packaging that's like a legit product like, like yeah it's, it's not a bootleg piece of crap uh so i you know gave them my precious money <laughs> i was pretty young at the time and uh i watched the whole thing front to back and i 
I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Un unfortunately, as far as I know, they haven't been able to license too many products. Uh, they are a very small publisher. Um, they only have a handful of products, but they did a good job with these discs. And as far as I know, they all like did all the subtitling themselves too. <laughs> so oh, cool! It's, it's a mom and pop DVD. <laughs> yeah, now it's you said it's six discs. How how long is it? I guess. Uh, it's very long. Um, I don't know how many episodes, but probably in excess of 50. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot. Um, yeah, and it, yeah. it has a lot of extras, too, like a lot of interviews. Like, apparently the, the actors from the 1970s TV show, like, came to conventions in Hawaii or something and, like, did mm -hmm. interviews. Yeah. But, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, nice. Anyway, uh, balls to you, Brad. What you got? Well, while while we're talking about shows, I guess I'll transition to a TV show as well. Um, this one is, uh, you know, it's a show that I love. Maybe it's been a little overhyped lately, but I do think it's a great show. You know, it's like the uh, the Rick and Morty effect where people just go uh, so crazy about the show that you can't even, like, separate the show from the the fans getting on the counter and screaming about Szechuan sauce even if the show itself is actually good. Um, this one is the complete series of Breaking Bad in the uh, Barrel uh, Complete Collection set. So this one, let me see if I can open this without breaking it. You open it up, and you've got all the discs in there like that. It kind of opens up, and they're all in their individual container. It's just a really cool set. So Folks at home that can't see this, Brad is showing me essentially the uh, VX gas container from The Rock, but in disc <laughs> form. <laughs> and you take the top off, there's a specialty bonus disc off the top of the barrel. There's a little, what is this? Oh, I think this is like a t-shirt or something that I never opened. There's a t-shirt inside with money, because these are like supposed to be the money barrels. You got a Heisenberg pin. You got a Heisenberg pin or coin or whatever it is. I mean, you know, this came out. Breaking Bad was still, we were still riding the fumes off of this thing. I mean, Breaking Bad, people were comparing it to the best of the best. Like, they were saying, this is the greatest thing since Beetlejuice. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I do, I, I really do like the show. Um, you know, it's it's just the thing where so many people are like Breaking Bad it's the greatest show of all time and then you're like yeah it's it's great it really is great but you kind of get a little burnt out on it just because so many people love it and you hate to say that but it, it I mean I have to admit that it does happen sometimes when something becomes overly popular um and you know I don't want to be the hipster guy that said I was watching Breaking Bad from the beginning cuz I wasn't watching it from the beginning but I feel like I jumped on the train before it got you know quite as big as it was but uh, it's definitely it is up there as one of my favorite shows. I think it is a really great show, um, and uh, yeah, I love the set. It's uh, they did this was like a limited release, and then they re-released it like the barrel all over again. And I was very disappointed because like I was like, oh, I got this like it's never coming out again. And of course, later on they release it again. I think it had an even an extra disc in it, so even the the second release is even better than the one I have. But whatever, it's uh, it's it. I don't own too many like uh, you know novelty releases like the 
Nakatomi Plaza or the <laughs> Breaking Bad Barrel. This is really the only one I had. I guess besides the Stranger Things VHS, which is on my most hated list. But this one, I I think it's it's a great release. So it is on my top shelf treasures. That's pretty fucking badass, man. <laughs> I, I think it looks neat. Um, it makes me think of Donkey Kong Country. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I get where you're coming from about the excessive love for the series. Um, I have a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction to that as well um, because I've actually watched the first season of Breaking Bad and very much enjoyed it. But after the hype train started rolling, I my enthusiasm kind of eased a bit, and I just stopped. Yeah. I was like, okay, I got you know, this is great and all, but you're ruining it for me. So I, I feel you. It's, it's your, uh, it's your underdog instincts. It's like I don't want to feel like I'm winning. Like I don't want it to be given. <laughs> T Rex doesn't want to be fed. He wants to hunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good way to put it. I mean, it's just like the thing where it's like you know, you you talk to the average viewer and you try and recommend some shows to them, and like. You know, it just won't take. Like, if I try and recommend The Leftovers, which I love even more than Breaking Bad to the average viewer, it's not going to take. It's just it's not that kind of show. Breaking Bad is an amazing show, but it's the one show that I feel like it really hits a lot of sweet spots where it's kind of accessible to anybody. So you talk to the average person and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm not interested in that other show that isn't as popular. But Breaking Bad is just great. It's the best show ever. And it's like, well, have you watched some of these other shows? And they're, they won't watch it. They'll just rewatch Breaking Bad. <laughs> well, Breaking Bad is unfortunately in the same car- in the same category in my mind as uh, listening to Joe Rogan uh, <laughs> hype Ozark. I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but I'm so fucking tired of hearing about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like Ozark, but Ozark. I'm sure is, you do, Brad. I'm it's, sure it's fantastic, but I could not care less. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, I I would not recommend it that high. It Ozark is <laughs> so blatantly a Breaking Bad ripoff. I think it's it's I it's enjoyable to watch, but it really is kind of like Ozark is like the perfect Netflix show because it just. I feel like it just hits a part of your brain where it just, you know, it just, you got to keep watching it. It's not great, but there's something about the plot. It's so plot heavy that you just be like, you got to know what happens next. And, um, yeah. So I do not own any of Ozark on Blu-ray. I don't <laughs> well, think get on that bread. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if they May- come out with a complete series, but we'll see. It's like only if they have a barrel. <laughs> 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 I mean, I have a general aversion to series for whatever reason. I think it's Mm -hmm. like my brain gets ahead of itself and views it as like too great of a time investment or something. I get get spooked when it comes to series. It's very, very, it's almost impossible to get me to sit down to watch a series. Uh, Kyle can attest to that because I'm sure he's told me to watch tons of shows. I'm just like, yeah, sounds great. Mm -hmm. Probably never going to watch it. But um, what about a... Maybe you know this. Uh, what about a uh, clause? I think it's on FX or something. Yeah, that's it, it the one about the nail like nail salon. It seemed like it was in the same vein. Yeah, uh, I've I've actually never seen that one though. Yeah, but I, I know it one you're talking about. It seems like there's this subgenre of good people doing bad things. Um, mm-hmm. Like uh, you did an episode on it, that uh, bad education movie. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's like one part like heist story, but it's mostly about like good natured people backed into a corner turning into monsters kind of yeah seems like that's where the public consciousness is right now 
because there's a yeah. shit ton of content in, along those lines. In fact, there's one with uh, Christina Hendricks or something that came out like last year or something. It's about like money laundering or something. Yeah. Some. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's there's a ton of that stuff, and I I think you can even trace it all the way back to like um, the the Sopranos. Honestly, like the guy who that one's a little different because like he is. It's more like he's a bad guy that you learn to love instead of like a good guy who turns bad. But just that kind of like anti-hero um, has been popular for a while now, I feel like. Yeah, I want to say it like comes about partly as a response to like the, I don't know, the Occupy Wall Street kind of situation. It's like mm-hmm. the little guy's been bullied a bit too much and now, it, now it's like almost, it's almost like, okay to, to, to lash out in some capacity as long as like yeah. not too many people get hurt <laughs> yeah I, I don't know where it started but i'd be curious like like retracing the steps of of that particular like trend in uh in television and whatnot mm-hmm. um i know kyle absolutely adores uh mad men i don't know if you've seen mad that. men is good uh yeah it's definitely like drama with a capital d but um, it's it's very it is very good. I did re in the last few years. I finished the series um, and I, I liked it a lot. I think I would check that out um, sooner than I would some of the others. But um, I know Kyle really likes that one. Uh, so yeah, I lately I've been like getting that. I've been getting into the series that are like one season, all directed by the same person. Um, kind of like a you know Twin Peaks: The Return was like that. Um, what did I just watch? I just watched uh, I Know This Much Is True, which is uh, directed by Derek Sion France, who did uh, like The Place Beyond the Pines and Blue Valentine, and he wrote and directed every episode. So, I mean, I'm kind of getting into shows that really do scale back and don't have a ton of episodes and just not a big time commitment. And if it's one creative voice throughout the whole thing, that's a huge plus for me. I know a lot of people are really... Uh they applaud the the bbc for having generally mm. low episode counts like yeah. only a couple of seasons and then done um we'll say this much before we move on uh chernobyl i did watch when i when i had like a hbo weekend and that was pretty fucking amazing um, yeah that's a great example up. yeah yeah that yeah. was that was an incredible piece of fiction or non-fiction rather um, unfortunately mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah, I think is worth everybody's time uh, if they can stomach it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I gotta rewatch that. I would rewatch it, <laughs> yeah. that, uh, despite the intensity of it. I would totally rewatch that. Um, but oh, I guess balls to me. What am I gonna throw at you next, Brad? Uh, we're talking serieses, so I'll throw a, a series of films at you um, that also has a TV series to go with it that I don't own. Um, okay. So this is a three three different box sets of uh, pet pet labor. Uh, stands for patrol labor, um, and these are incredible box sets. Um, they are numbered. I like the look of them. There are only ten thousand of uh, the first two of them. So I have number six set uh, six thousand seven hundred forty one and six hundred eighty one. Cool. <laughs> um, that is cool. But the inside of the spine is where the value is. So I don't know if you can see that via the webcam, but basically what you have is a production journal and the complete storyboard booklet for mm. an animated film, which mm-hmm. you know, doesn't exist without a storyboard. Yeah. Um, so these are all from the mind of Mamoru Oshii, uh, who 
uh, did Ghost in the Shell. I think that was like his most famous uh, work. Um, he didn't originate that story, but he directed the 90s animated film uh, that's okay. mostly known for. Um, so the Pat Labor series is like a near future scenario where uh, a new form of machinery exists called a labor, which is just like a, it's a mech robot. Um, it's like 20 feet tall, so it's not gigantic, um, but it's an all-purpose machine that can be used mostly for construction and whatnot. Um, but in this near future scenario, um, they have to expand the police force to accommodate crimes involving laborers. <laughs> so if somebody starts shit with one of these mech suits, they need to have a mech suit to counter it with. So they have a police force with their own laborers called patrol laborers. Mm -hmm. um, it's a sprawling franchise that started, I think, in the late 80s. Um, and these movies are mostly mostly my familiarity with the franchise. I, did, I actually haven't seen the TV series or, or the uh, original animation videos, uh, or original video animations um, based on it. But these three movies are incredible. <laughs> I'll just say that much. Um, there's a reason I, I shelled out actually not very much money at all for these mm. super, super duper special edition DVDs. Um, they mm -hmm. have since been released on Blu-ray. Um, but just the fact that I have the production journals and the storyboard booklets, um, I thought it was worth it. Uh, maybe someday I'll upgrade, but um, highly recommended. Um, all three of these movies, um, it's really amazing how over the course of three different movies, they, they take like a police procedural and they take it from three different angles where it's like, in the first one, I think you're mostly with like the, the rookie recruits. So it's like you get in from the ground floor um, and then the second one, it's like the senior staff. And then the third one, it's like the detectives. It's like a law and order type scenario where it's like the third really? one follows the detectives who are only tangentially connected to the people that we followed in the other movies. Mm -hmm. So the people, so the main cast of the other two movies show up at the conclusion, but they're mostly just off screen. And you're with a couple of guys who are in the background of the other two movies. And if you watch them all together, it's like, oh, wow, you get a really good illustration like a, a full fleshed out illustration of all of these characters and you feel for all of them um and i don't i don't know if you've ever seen any of this guy's work but um he has a mood uh, <laughs> like to his films that is utterly unique um mm -hmm. his editing is really laid the fuck back um his the way he uh frames action almost reminds me of michael mann um where it's very clinical it's not yeah. glamorized like like um Manhunter and Heat both have like gunfights and and like physical combat in them, but it's never made to look good. It's just kind of the camera's almost incidental. It's just like oh, yeah. it's just people shooting at each other. Um, and despite having fucking giant robots in them, <laughs> somehow they make it have that kind of like almost like voyeuristic or like documentary kind of feel to it. Interesting. Which is a really bizarre thing to you to do in animation, where it's like you mm -hmm. have your entire product is a special effect. Why aren't you showing it off? It's like, well, because I don't want to. <laughs> That's not my style. Yeah, that is, that, that is, I've never thought about that before. That's an interesting way to do an animated film. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think he's been criticized for, for working in animation where it's like, why don't you work in live action? <laughs> it's like he's made live action films and he's made them in the same style. And it actually does translate pretty well. Yeah. Um, but there's some something to be said for seeing really mundane things animated really well. 
Um, yeah. It's really charming for some reason to, to like watch just it. I don't know if it was rotoscoped or anything like, you know, like actual live action footage drawn on top of, but like just things like body language of somebody uh, standing from a squat or like opening a door or like putting on their jacket in a certain way. It's like, wow, you, I don't know if you like beat the shit out of your staff and kept them like really late every night just to get that, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah. <funny>. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Pat Labor. Um, if if you haven't checked him out at any point, uh, again, highly recommended. And you said he did the Ghost in the Shell, the original film. Uh yes, the I okay, nineteen ninety five, the animated version. Yep, I have I have and seen that. that. I have seen that. Okay, well then you then you might have an image in your head of what I'm talking about then. Mm-hmm. And was this before or after Ghost in the Shell that these came out? I, I believe two of these were before okay um, the first two and then the third one came out in 2002 i think and it's radically different but it still kind of works like third hmm. one has some straight up like resident evil type sci-fi garbage in it where it's like i don't know what we're doing anymore but i'm still on board you didn't completely <laughs> lose me <laughs> yeah. i i am kind of intrigued i like the premise and i did like uh i, I mean i w- didn't love it but i did like ghost in the shell when i uh, watched it. I mean, I'd be curious to revisit it for sure, but those, I really like the premise of how you describe those films. It really is like a police procedural, but with robots. <laughs> so, giant robots. Yeah. With uh, with revolvers and shotguns. <laughs> um, because, yeah. Um, you gotta have some whimsy in your hard sci-fi story, but um, one other note, though, is um, we were talking about music earlier. Um, the score for most of his movies, and in fact, all three of these, is done by Kenji Kawai, who is maybe one of my favorite composers. Um, it's okay. taken me a lifetime to kind of realize that, but he might be. Uh, he has a very unique style, um, and he put in some great work in these movies in particular. Nice. Um, yeah. Nice. Anyway, uh, that's enough gushing. Uh, what, what do you got, Brad? <laughs> Hopefully, you have something shitty to follow up with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know how, how many more do you have because I've really only got maybe one more big one that I really want to highlight. I could highlight some other stuff too, but how many but, more do you have you want to talk about? Let's just call it one and one, and then we're good because I could okay. do this all night. So let, let's just call this the last round. All right. This is the one that. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest, this probably is, if we're talking top shelf treasures, I'd say this is my number one. And it might not be my number one forever if a better version of it comes out. But as of right now, it is my number one. And I actually, actually, this was the one, I don't remember if it was before we started recording, but I mentioned how I was trying to find one of these and I couldn't find it and I was having a heart attack. This is the one that I w- was worried I lost. And believe it or not, you're about to uh, you're about to fall out of your chair. It it is a DVD. It is a DVD. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Mind fucking blown. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason it is a DVD is because it is the Star Wars original trilogy with the non-special editions. Whoa! So I didn't even know that existed on DVD. Yep. It's two, each one is two discs. And um, they have the special edition and the original theatrical version. And I think this might be the only DVD, at least in North America, release uh, that the originals got. And when I bought this, I'll admit, I 
had no idea about the special editions. I just, this was when I wanted to get Star Wars on DVD. I mean, I don't know how old I was, but I bought it, or maybe my mom bought it for me. I don't know. But I, I got them on DVD and had no idea about the special editions until years and years later when I heard about them online in these gross special editions. And um, then I went and looked at my copy, and I saw that on disc two, original theatrical version of Return of the Jedi and of A New Hope and da da and also, uh, you get a Lego Star Wars 2 video game Xbox demo. So, I mean, that's that's also a bonus. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, that's probably backwards compatible with an Xbox One. Actually, <laughs> if, if I wasn't worried about accidentally, like, ruining these discs, maybe I would try it. But, um, no, I mean, just the fact that these uh, original theatrical versions have still not come out in a high-def version, um, at least, you know, legally i guess um makes this uh very much a treasure because i think those special editions are really gross i mean you know you watch this and you watch it in dvd quality and i'll be honest i'm gagging i'm gagging watching these movies in dvd quality but then you go and watch the uh special editions in blu-ray or even 4k quality and even though picture quality might be better uh the fact that they are the special editions. I'm not just gagging. I'm 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 barfing. So gagging is much better than barfing. So that's why I uh, would always go with these. And um, yeah, I'm just really happy that by basically a fluke, I have these, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. And I they do go for a pretty penny on uh, online. I did check them out, and uh, the soul there were solds for. I guess I don't want to say how much they were can't remember but it was you know it was a decent amount they were selling for a decent amount this version holy crap like i'm i'm kind of like you said blown out of my chair uh, i i yeah. <laughs> i did not know they ever put those out on dvd well and that's the thing i've never seen you know any like when people had star wars on dvd i don't know if you can see but you know how these are like the skinny cases yeah i've never i have never seen anyone else own a version like this um, all the, all the DVDs I saw were the, like the thicker cases. I can picture what they look like. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy that I own this and I'm very happy to. And, uh, like Charlie, my friend was telling me about how, I think it was before force awakens came out, he was rewatching them and, uh, he had to pull out his VHS VCR and VHS uh, VHSs to watch the original versions, and I was like, "Hey, I just got to pop in my disc. At least I got them on disc, buddy." So <laughs> <laughs> don't have to break out the you know extra hardware just to run it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's definitely uh, the uh, top shelf treasure, and unfortunately, because it is DVD, I don't keep it with the rest of my Blu-rays. So that's why I was I almost couldn't find it for a second there, and I. I about had a heart attack. I was like, did I like leave these in my college dorm or something? Or what uh, What happened with that? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, you got to be careful who you invite into your home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Especially now that this is public record, I got to be careful. Yeah, for real, man. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to have to insist that uh, Kyle listen to this because that um, he might he might have to go on the hunt for that one. Uh, hopefully not your copy in particular, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you can like search for. I guess because each one's two discs, maybe you can search two disc trilogy collection. I don't know, and it, it does say limited edition on the front. Um, mm. So yeah, I don't know. I, I could I should look into how 
prevalent this is, like how many there are, because anytime I mention it to somebody, they are kind of blown away. But yeah, well, um, I mean, the only thing you need to know um, as to what separates the quality of the special edition from the original version, two words, and maybe just one, yub nub. <laughs> that's that's all you need to know. Yup. Yeah. Yup nub yeah. is the difference maker. <laughs> what what I always go back to is the uh the Jabba the Hut scene with Han Solo and A New Hope, which is just so gross. It is just I yeah. mean you know, the way I look at it is this is the only version that I can get of of several of my favorite movies. Like in my mind, these movies have not come out on Blu-ray or 4K. Now, I, I'm, I, have, I think I've said in a past episode that I may pick up the 4Ks just to have that version, you know, better picture quality. Um, but I think that this will be the one that I still go back to. I mean, Han Solo doing a, a next slide. Yeah. Oh, that's um, bad, too. And apparently there's five or six different versions of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. just a mess. Just a yeah, mess. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of the CGI stuff is extraneous. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to do the things they couldn't at the time. They're trying to open up the world a bit. And I will actually defend some aspects of the special edition, but it's only the more subtle aspects. Like Cloud City in particular, um, they, they went back and they opened up the city, like literally, there's just background shots where um, they were meant to show an exterior of Bespin, just like to, to like show the, like the orange sky outside. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have that. Like they didn't have a matte painting, or they didn't have like a backdrop yet. Uh, so they just had to like put a what like a white panel there or something. So it just looks really yeah. drab and a little lifeless. So things like that, I don't have too much of a problem with. But there's some stuff that's like generally like it's irksome. It's like get that the fuck out of here. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's just the prince. It's just the principle of it, you know. Like, just you know, some of them. I admit, some of the changes are better, but you know, it's just an infinite hole you can fall into of tweaking movies after they come out, and yeah, and I just mean, the fact as, that as a kid, I'm not gonna lie, it was kind of neat seeing the Wampa like like have confirmation that oh fuck he took his arm <laughs> like, <Yeah>. but, <laughs> but you know it's like it doesn't actually need to be there but yeah it's kind of yeah. cool seeing the guy go oh fuck <laughs> like, there goes my arm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, no i get what you mean where it's like at some point it's got to be done because the way films are constructed it's like editing could potentially never stop like you could oh yeah like uh, there's certain musicians out there that as far as i understand that's all they fucking do is just tweak their shit until the end of time because in their mind it's like not not what they're hearing in their head Mm -hmm. Um, but when it comes to like movies and stuff it's like at some time at some point you have to let go and just accept this like no you know you released it out into the wild and now it's not yours anymore george yeah sorry (laughs) like it actually belongs to the ghost of walt disney now (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) and i'm sure that eventually they will i guess i don't know all the details of how it works but i'm sure eventually they will release non-special editions because like that's just when they do that people will lose their shit like it'll be huge so I, I'm sure they maybe they're going to save it for a point where Star Wars is like at a low point to kind of bring it back. And like, I just right I have to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's I have to try and plan 
If I I need to get on the inside of Disney and know when they're going to do that because if I can plan it, I can sell these right before they announce the uh, that they'll be coming to 4K and Blu-ray, and then I can upgrade then and like make a tidy profit off of this. But I will not sell these until I know that we will get a better version of it. So, so you need a Dennis Nedry inside of Walt Disney, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> inside the Disney Corporation. <laughs> yes, I do. I need him to go in with a shaving cream can and everything. Yeah. Um, hopefully he doesn't lose track of where the east dock is. <laughs> Pro tip, it's to the east. <laughs> but, um, shit, bread. Um, I don't think I can top that, so I don't know if I should try. Um, I say I, go for it. I, I can't possibly. There's no There's no way I can top that particular Star Wars um, <laughs> box set. I mean, I have a giant stack of Scott Adkins movies looming over me. <laughs> I'd prefer not to, like, it, I'll I'll have a heart attack just trying to say all the names of them, let alone go yeah. into detail about what they are and what they mean to me, so I'm going to spare you that. Okay. <laughs> um, I have a stack of documentaries that are kind of interesting. I oh, have... let's, let's go with one of those. Let's go with a doc. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to give you two for the price okay. of one. Because, uh, like I said, Star Wars, whew, that's hard to top. Um, so the first one I'll throw out there is a indie documentary um, produced by a YouTube personality who I actually do not give two shits about, um, <laughs> but I actually really like the concept. Uh, so this is called Not For Resale, um, mm, and okay. this is a video game store documentary. Uh, so this really? is oh. a documentary exploring uh, the advent of the digital games uh, platform. Uh, So basically Mm -hmm. like Steam and like the uh, Xbox, like Microsoft Game Store and uh, EA's origin platform. Just digital distribution as a concept, not just in regards to movies, but um, in this case, games, Uh, which is something that you and I being as we're physical media collectors is something that's probably in the back of our mind pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is exploring that topic from many, many different angles. And uh, the primary focal point, though, is uh, interviews with uh, like mom and pop game store owners, um, one of which uh, is uh, Kelsey Lewin, or uh, yeah, I believe that's her name, who owns a local retro game store here in Seattle called uh, Pink oh, really? Gorilla. Um, I, it was really surreal. Uh, seeing shots of the interior of the store that you know i've been frequenting half my life and yeah. seeing her it's like hey you've rung me up plenty of times and now you're doing interviews in a fucking movie <laughs> <laughs> that's weird um but yeah uh, they have a lot of interviews with uh retro game store owners from all over the u.s um and also like game devs from around the world and it just it it has a little bit of an, an agenda in that it's mostly pro like like physical media and whatnot but at the same time Mm -hmm. they have a lot of interviews with like the people who make uh, rocket league and stuff like that where it's like you get to hear both sides of the argument where it's like digital distribution is the wave of the future and it is we're in kind of like the the closing act of games being put out in a physical capacity Mm -hmm. um so it just seemed like the right time for a for a story along these lines um and i watched it and i own it it's a it's not an amazing work of filmmaker or anything, but it's just a niche topic that happens to mean something to me. Did you know that your local video game store was going to be in there before you watched it, or was that like a, a surprise? I, I 
I knew ahead of time because they okay. had like a shot or two of the exterior of the store in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't realize how much of it there was going to be. Um, actually, like the closing like roundtable discussion, uh, basically the end of any Grey's Anatomy show where they have like the, the sappy love song playing over footage of like wrapping up all the threads of like all the story arcs in every episode it's like that except for they're talking about they're getting sappy about video games (laughs) (laughs) uh she's she's involved in that roundtable discussion so like they uh they spotlight her store and her and it's a i definitely i've found that there's definitely like a novelty like a sense of novelty that comes with watching products made by people that you are familiar with in some capacity oh yeah like it's really surreal especially like uh encountering those personalities in in real life or like uh that kuda cinema movie that was made by my friend sean parker uh, i went to his wedding and most of the actors in that movie were there and that was my first time oh, cool. meeting them and i was like you know you have an image of them in your head that's like oh wait you're an actor <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not you <laughs> but it was kind of surreal because like they're not celebrities but in my mind they they kind of are because they mm-hmm. they did a thing and i, I have it on my shelf <laughs> but uh last one though um is something i think i've told you about uh this is a uh this is top knot detective Oh yeah, yeah. And this is from Third Window Films, which I believe is also a uh, Australian disc publisher. Um, it's through them that I also got my copy of One Cut of the Dead, which I still have not watched. Shame on yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know if I want to spoil this for you, Brad, because uh, it's a really unique movie. Um, fuck it, I'm gonna spoil it for you. <laughs> um, so what this is is a fake documentary about a tokusatsu show. So, Common Rider, basically. Um, so, a Japanese sci-fi television show from the 90s uh, that never existed. Um, but the novelty of this movie is that it's, it's shot uh, very po-faced, very straightforward, like a documentary ab- about an entirely fictional topic starring fictional people. Mm-hmm. So, everyone in it is an actor, and all of the drama that exists in it is fiction. Um and they do a bang up job of making it feel like a real thing. Um, yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, Kung Fu Elliot, where uh, Kung Fu Elliot to this day, I'm not sure what that is. Like, <laughs> a, like I, I we did an episode of it for our for our podcast, and uh, Kung Fu Elliot is a remarkable film, which I also paid money directly to the filmmakers just to have a blu-ray of it even though i think it's available on like amazon prime or something for free mm. um so i probably should have showed that one <laughs> but um <laughs> but uh, top knot detective is just it's really amazing how um how much passion and enthusiasm is in it like how they really made sure to cover all the potential blind spots um in creating this illusion of like a fake documentary about a show that never was and mm-hmm. make it feel pretty legit like to the to the extent that like all the special effects footage in it is done badly on purpose but like yeah. not bad to the point where it's like crummy bad it's like charming bad um it's made by i think the same people that made a show that uh it's like i think it's called danger five um okay it was like a, the equivalent of like a late night adult swim show that my friend uh told me about ages ago i think it's made by them but um they they have a passion for these like antiquated special effects and these like th- there's like a 
a jank threshold where it's like if you cross it too far it's it's bad but if you take it just to, if you ride that line it's it's wonderful <laughs> yeah I, I love the term the jank threshold <laughs> jank threshold <laughs> but um that's good yeah uh, this movie uh, this is the only way i know to get it um is through third window films i don't know mm-hmm. if it's streaming anywhere but if you can find it i thought it was a lot of fun um I would certainly recommend it. What what year did this come out? Um, I want to say late 2017 or yeah, 2017. Okay, so it's it's pretty recent then. Yeah, it's pretty new. Yeah, but it doesn't look it. Like in fact, I want to say most of it is in four by three on purpose. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. All right, there it, you go. Because it's supposed to be a 90s TV show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I w- it would have lost some credibility if that was in uh, widescreen, a 90s TV show for sure. <laughs> it's like it's not accurate <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah don't try and pull those aspect ratio switcheroos over my eyes i i i see what they're doing yeah that does sound good i i feel like i would get a kick out of that it does seem kind of up my alley yeah it, it's a fun one um it it's something that like i i knew i knew i was gonna buy or where i was looking for one cut of the dead at the time when it was only available through them um, and mm-hmm. Shutter uh, a little bit later, and uh, when I when I found it uh, via Third Window Films, I was like, "Hmm, this Top Knot Detective movie sounds almost like more enticing." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." So I was like, "I know if I'm gonna get one, I'm, I have to get both." So I I did that because like I'm not gonna fucking buy from an Australian disc publisher like all the fucking time. This is gonna, probably gonna be a one time thing. So yeah, I'm glad I got it. Uh, I took a chance on it and it worked out. That's the and that's the best kind of top shelf treasure when you buy something that it's a blind buy and it becomes something that's one of your favorites. I mean, just there's no better feeling. Yeah, fucking for real, man. Um, so, what we, I think we did like seven seven rounds back and forth. That's quite extensive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I think we highlighted a good uh, a good mix of our top shelf treasures, and I mean. You know, I had a few over here that I didn't mention, so I'll save those for we'll save those for some other time, some other uh, theme we can rope them into. Yeah, uh, I I, I want to say the balls to you next time. So be be thinking of what you want to do next month. Okay. Um, yeah. But, I'll yeah, come up with some ideas. Obviously, you and I both have more movies to talk about. It's a never it's yeah. a never ending battle. <laughs> and I, I keep buying more, so that's the good news. It's just it just keeps adding up. I mean, honestly, I could have thrown in a. Uh, the 4k disc of jaws um i easily yeah. could have thrown that in there because i'm very proud to own that um, mm-hmm. and it's i've heard glorious. it looks amazing it's yeah. glorious <laughs> um, and i that's one of my very very favorite movies uh, so yeah. it was worth every penny for me um but you know that's what what else can be said about jaws <laughs> <laughs> honestly yeah um well, that being said, Brad, uh, I guess that wraps up our Top Shelf Treasures episodes of Tales from the Shelf. Um, so, Brad, uh, how about you tell the folks at home uh, how they can find some of your programming, your your stuff on the internets? Yeah, well, we're a Cinema Speak podcast. Uh, we're going to be recording our 200th episode this weekend, so you can stay tuned uh, for that. You can subscribe to us wherever you find podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and find us on social media. We are at the Cinema Speak on Twitter or Cinema Speak Podcast on Instagram, and then uh, if you want to just find it, just a you know a, bl- a plain web page with all our episodes posted, it's cinema cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. 
All right. Thanks, Brad. Um, and if you want to look up uh, my stuff, that is the Catching Up on Cinema episodes and whatnot, we do have a website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, and you can also find us on the Twitters at Catching Cinema, as well as the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema. Um, and uh, feel free to drop me a line there. I may or may not reply, uh, depending on my mood. Uh, we'll see. Um, that being said, uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Brad. It was a lot of fun, as always. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Bye.